It's found in Mark 16, just the first eight verses. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might uh, go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where you laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's gone ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So here we are. Easter landing on April 1st this year. The Fool's Day. April Fool's jokes can be pretty fun. Especially the pranks. Has anyone been pranked so far this morning? Oh, already? Dan, I'm sorry. Hopefully it was fun and not like a little teary prank. Um, If you're feeling particularly evil, then I'm going to share with you three quality pranks that you can either, you might not have time to uh, do some of them before the end of the day, but they'll even be more impactful tomorrow when really no one's expecting it. Or you could just file it away in the mental filing cabinet for next year. So the first one, this takes a little bit more of a heads up. You can get uh, a bakery to custom fill custard donuts with mayonnaise. With enough of a heads up, bring them to your coworkers. <laughs> Just wanted to share the blessing of the season with you. Right. Another good one. Uh, attach an air horn strategically to the side of a bathroom door. Right? And um, maybe ask a child or an in-law to go and search for something in the bathroom. Uh, number three, if you know someone who has an unhealthy obsession with their cell phone, then what you can do is you can take a screenshot of, on their phone of their homepage, go into their phone, delete all the sh- shortcuts from their homepage, and then set the screenshot to the background. And then uh, usually that, that one can escalate pretty fast because pretty soon they're on the phone, they're talking to people, they're sending their phone to Mississauga to get it repaired, but it's actually pretty fun. Gets a little chuckle. Um, so that being said, you know, just, you know, let's be clear. Those are three pretty evil pranks. So if you are going to do those things, you didn't get the idea from me. And neither are any of you going to do those on me next year. That would be very, very cruel. Those are just, just some pranks that um, you might find fun to do on someone else other than me. One of the things that April Fool's Day jokes and pranks have in common is that they are designed to subvert people's expectations in a way that f- makes the person on the receiving end feel like a complete and utter fool. Most of, these ti- most of the times these pranks can be, can be fun or seemingly fun because they elevate hope on the front end, right? Oh, donuts! Only to pull the rug out from under those foolish enough to take the bait. Mayonnaise, womp womp. 
played for laughs, these harmless pranks are usually designed to make the victims feel like a fool for having gotten their hopes up in the first place. And this pattern, elevating hope, but delivering disappointment, is pretty common in today's day and age. I think a lot of people find themselves seeking hope and change, maybe even, maybe even aspiring to spiritual transformation, only to be disappointed by the solutions that are on offer within our culture. And what happens then is after experiencing disappointment and dashed hopes over and over again, jadedness and skepticism can begin to kind of take root. And as a result, I think there's a lot of people who live lives of quiet desperation. They're disillusioned and they're calloused to really any offer or another promise of transformative hope. And the quiet but very certain conviction that I think many people live with is this. You are an actual fool if you believe that genuine, life-giving, destiny-altering hope exists. And the Bible gives voice to that sentiment. In the passage this morning, here's a little bit of the context for what's happening as these women go towards this uh, burial place of Jesus. They've spent years with Jesus. They and the disciples have taken in thousands of hours where they've heard his teaching. They've seen him showing and telling the kingdom of God They've seen miracles and healings. And they've abandoned everything to the hope that Jesus is this special deliverer. There's something very different and distinct about Jesus. He is a saving one. He's come to establish God's kingdom and the shalom and peace that results from it in this world. But then they've watched as Jesus, only a few days before, was betrayed and falsely tried and beaten, and mocked, and tortured, and humiliated, and crucified, and then laid in a tomb. And so this Sunday, they're not going to the tomb in an effort to sustain hope. They're going to the tomb feeling like fools. Fools to believe that real hope and real change was possible for them, for their world, whatever, any of it, all of it. And they came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. They came to the tomb to put to death their dreams of a world transformed by God's love and God's goodness. And after enough disappointment and the ensuing heartache that results, isn't it true that we start to muzzle those voices of hope within ourselves. You you just kind of stop looking for possibilities on the horizon because it's tiring being played for a fool again and again and again. There's this intriguing line in part three of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. At this point in the story, the kingdom of Gondor has been invaded by the dark lord Sauron and and his army of orcs. And the siege of the citadel, Minas Tirith, is about to be underway. And so they're on the eve of the great battle of their time. And the wizard Gandalf and the hobbit Pippin have the following exchange. Tell me, Pippin said, 
Is there any hope? And Gandalf put his hand on Pippin's head and he said, there, there never was much hope. Just a fool's hope. And as these women approach Jesus' tomb, I can imagine a very similar conversation happening. Woman turning to the other, Mary, there never really was much hope, was there? No, Salome, just a fool's hope. And then we read these words. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they had asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where you laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anybody because they were so afraid. As despair and darkness gripped their hearts, as their minds were beginning to very naturally dwell upon prayers of Jewish lament, they encountered the empty tomb of Jesus. They were met with the good news that he had risen. They came face to face with the reality that subverted their expectations and left them overwhelmed with wonder. Fearfully awestruck. That's the word that is translated alarmed here in the Greek. Dumbfounded. They must have felt like fools, but this time hopeful fools, like fools who had been given over one final time to hopelessness, only to have the carpet of despair pulled out from under them and to be replaced with a startling new prospect of hope that Jesus is actually alive? And then their minds must have began to turn from lament to a completely different set of questions. Is it true? How could it be true? What if it's true? Wait, Friday, wasn't Friday the most clearest sign that Jesus and everything that he was about had come to a bitter end? How is Jesus alive? What does this even mean? In verse 8, it says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The word trembling and bewildered in Greek is tromos and ecstasis. And ecstasis is the word from which we get ecstasy. It was a sense of being overwhelmed, unable to process what is happening, a unique mixture of excitement and fear. We might say they fled, they left the tomb, trembling like fools, surprised and utterly astonished. As we sit here this morning on the intersection of Easter resurrection morning and April Fool's Day, that question has to be addressed. Are we fools to believe that genuine, life-giving, destiny-altering hope exists in the world?
Are you a fool to believe that? And the empty tomb of Jesus boldly declares no. You're not a fool to believe that. Though the cornerstone of your hope may look very foolish, a weak, rejected, crucified Messiah, your hope in this Jesus is wise beyond measure. Because on this Easter morning, Jesus made a mockery of sin and death. The disciple Peter, speaking to a group not long after Jesus was resurrected, only a few weeks, he said these words in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And this man was handed over to you by God's set purposes and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then later he says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to this. Repent then. And repent was just a term that meant turn away. You're going in this direction, turn in a different direction. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Easter morning and the empty tomb of Jesus reveals a reason for unparalleled hope. Jesus has been resurrected, and that means that Jesus is victorious over sin and death. And to many ears, that sounds foolish, but it is this fool's hope, and it is a sure and certain hope because the resurrected Jesus is its foundation. See, the empty tomb shows us that there really is a love, there really is a power that is stronger than death. And if that's true, that means that genuine, life-giving, destiny-altering hope exists, but only in and through Jesus. And that's because only Jesus has the power to take things that are dead and raise them to new life. This morning, as you sit here, do you find yourself buried under the weight of joylessness? The empty tomb of Jesus calls you into a future in this life and the life to come that is so utterly mesmerizing your imagination cannot currently contain it. Do you find yourself buried under the weight of grief? The empty tomb of Jesus declares death's days are numbered and your grief, however long, will only be temporary. Do you find yourself buried under the weight of fear? The empty tomb of Jesus promises power that will allow you to walk into life's greatest challenges with a supernatural courage and a supernatural boldness. Do you find yourself buried under apathy? The empty tomb of Jesus shows you that Jesus' work is not done. He's gone ahead of you. He's on mission. 
And he has a role for you to play in bringing his goodness and love and truth to bear on the world. Do you find yourself buried under the weight of hopelessness? The empty tomb of Jesus rebukes your resignation and it confronts you with a hope that can only come from the knowledge that Jesus is alive and now powerfully at work in the world. And therefore, any reasons that you can muster to provide the ground for your hopelessness are deemed insufficient before an empty tomb. Do you find yourself buried under the weight of brokenness? The empty tomb of Jesus promises that a savior torn apart by abuse and rejection is now alive and is now established as Lord of heaven and earth. And by his spirit, he can bring about good through your wounds in the same way that resurrection was not possible without crucifixion. Do you find yourself buried under the weight of shame and guilt? The empty tomb of Jesus proclaims vindication for Jesus' suffering. His sacrifice for sin was perfect, it was total, it was complete, it was unmatchable, it was wholly sufficient. And that means that those who come to Jesus for forgiveness will be given a total, perfect, complete, unmatchable, wholly sufficient pardon. Do you find yourself buried under the weight of alienation, lost to your sense of identity and purpose in this world? The empty tomb of Jesus is an invitation out of spiritual exile. The love you never knew you needed, the hope you never knew you lacked, and the God you never thought you wanted has come for you. To bring you home, to throw you a feast, to robe you in a new identity, an identity that is more you than anything that you could construct. Do you find yourself buried under the weight of spiritual or psychological or emotional bondage? The empty tomb of Jesus declares liberation for those held captive by the forces of sin and death. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And after having broken the chains of death, the chains that imprison you are but paper fetters before his supremacy. When you look at the empty tomb, can you see why for 2,000 years Christians have made fools of themselves celebrating Easter morning? I mean, it really, it makes sense. It makes sense that you would. Because if Jesus has been resurrected, if Jesus is alive, then who is the real fool? Is it the one who believes and responds to that message? Or the one who rejects this hope and this power and this victory? I'll end with the words of Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Please stand and sing with us.